Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, what is CC Sabathia's problem with the Tampa Bay Rays, and do they have any chance of winning the division over the New York Yankees? Bucks training camp begins in just a week. And why are people not really hyped up about the Bucks? And is Jameis Winston better than some people give him credit for? And finally, how can FSU, Florida State's athletic program, be losing money? We've got all of that and more to discuss with Tom Jones of the Pointer Institute, my former radio partner, on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, if you'd like to sponsor a part of this podcast, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. Our advertisers are showing great success, and you will too. Now, here's what you do. For information, contact us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. We'd love to have you guys be part of our team. Okay, Tom Jones joins us now. And, uh, Tom, the Rays are wrapping up their series in New York uh, with a doubleheader as we begin this podcast you know, it's, uh, it's been one of those years where the Yankees have just owned the Rays more than even Stuart Sternberg, it appears, and, uh, and yet you had this, this unbelievable game the other day with Travis Darno hitting three home runs. Um, let's, let's start there. You've seen a lot of baseball games in, in your years. How improbable was it that a guy who's not known as a home run hitter in Yankee Stadium can come up three times and, and drive in five runs in that situation? You know, I watched that game the other night, and I was it was a weird day for me because I was working, and I was up late, and I was working on my newsletter for Pointer, and it was – I just had the game on as background. You know, I really wasn't really wasn't paying attention, and the Rays had given up the lead on uh, Edwin and Canarcion's second home run of the game. And my son came into the room, and uh, he's, a, he's a real big Rays fan. And the more he started getting into the ninth inning – you know, and then Kiermaier comes up and gets the hit, and then they get another runner on, and they have two on, nobody out, and then Adama strikes out, and then they get another out. And then Deneau comes up, and he, say, and he looks at me, and he goes, what if he hits another home run here? I'm like, there's no way this guy hits a home run here. Are you kidding me? Off of Chapman, his, it would be his third home run. This is crazy. And the home run, you know, the, the, he hits it to right. And, the, and at first, I thought that ball was going to get caught. I mean, the way Judge was sort of tracking oh, yeah. it, it looked like – you know, he's going to get it right at the wall or he's going to jump up and rob it. And when it went out, I, I had never – and it just – it's fun watching somebody else who's a diehard race fan. And I looked up at my son who went crazy. And it was – I had never seen him – I hadn't seen him do that since Evan Longoria's 162 home run, you know, where we – that was my – one of my favorite stories where we, we had an old – we have since changed couches, but – there was a big stain in, underneath our couch for a long time from the chocolate milk that he spilled all over the place. I don't know that home run. And it was, it was a, I mean, but watching that the other day, and I'm like, this is the type of game that can get really people jacked up for a season. And it yeah. was, that's how improbable it was. Like, if somebody else had done it, it, it would have been amazing if, you know, if Austin Meadows hit his third home run. But just the whole story and Chapman, and it would have been a gut-wrenching loss, another one to this team. But that home run, I think, sort of 
I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the year. I don't think the Rays are going to catch the Yankees. But uh, it was one of those games that can really excite a fan base for a long time. I think if you'd ask people the next day, okay, give us money for a stadium, <laughs> they were like, okay, here you go. Um, it's, uh, it was one of those se- games that can change a season, I thought. For, for a guy that was released by the Mets, uh, signed by the Dodgers, and, and really just they took a flyer on him, and then he was sold to the Rays for $100,000. Um, you know, the other, two, the other uh, three guys that had done it, you mentioned Longoria, uh, Johnny Gomes, which is not a surprise because he swung for the fences every time up, and B.J. Upton. So somehow Travis Darno doesn't really fit. I don't remember B.J. Right. Upton's three home runs, by the way. Um, I don't remember any of them, to be honest. I think I remember Longoria. <laughs> seriously, I think I remember Longoria's, but I don't remember. I, I don't think remember I remember Upton's. Gomes roughly, but, I, but yeah, it's not surprising it would be Johnny Gomes. I covered um, a four-home yeah. run game one time. It was really? uh yeah, what is uh, uh, Carlos Delgado with uh, Delgado with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays? I was covering the Rays. It was in Toronto at the Sky Dome. Wow! And it was it was the one of the, it was the most amazing thing I think I've ever seen. It's it's very rare. I think it happens. I think it's more rare than a perfect game. Um, and when he hit the fourth one, it was like one of those no doubt. As soon as he came up, he hit it so far. It was, and I, and you think you're watching batting practice. And even after the game, remember Lou Pinella was the manager at the time. You know, Luke, Luke could get the red ass over anything pretty much. But <laughs> he was, uh, after the game, you know, he, he met with the media. And, and he, me and uh, whoever, I can't even remember who was covering for the treatment. I think it might have been Scott Carter. We were both walking out. And he goes, hey, hey, you guys. And we stopped. And he goes, that was something, wasn't it? He goes, I was actually hoping he'd hit that fourth over. But I'd never seen that before. He was so excited. And if you're a baseball person, like, to see something that, and again, well, you and I talk about it, Rick, all the time, that, that's one of the great. That's the great thing about baseball, and, and Topkin talks about it all the time. You never know what you're going to see when you show up at a ballpark, and that that's example true. was the other night. Like Gary, if I had told you that guy was going to hit three home runs, the third one off of Chapman, in the bottom of the ninth or in the top of the ninth, to win to win a game, that you never would have guessed it. No way. That, that's so true. Um, so the other thing that's happened in this Yankee series, and pretty much all year, it seems. Is that CC Sabathia, who's in his last season, okay, and this guy's going to the Hall of Fame. He's going to be in Cooperstown. There's no doubt about it. Um, I don't really know what his reputation is around baseball per se, but he always seemed like, you know, a quality pitcher, a decent enough guy, I suppose. Yeah. And yet he's got, you talked about the Red Ass, he's got something about the Rays, and this has started early on in the season, barking to guys that aren't going around the bases fast enough and just, you know, all kinds of different things. But the other night, he had Abisal Garcia uh, got called out looking at a third strike, which was a ball, by the way. Yeah, it was um, a ball. You know, missed the outside corner, but nonetheless. And so Garcia, you know, kind of looks out there, but he's taking off his shin guards or whatever. And, and Sabathia starts chapping at him. And then, of course, you know, the benches kind of do a dance. They don't really, not, no, you know, no tempers really, really got out of control. What is it about Sabathia, do you think, that uh, is, is he smart enough? You know, because at that time, the Yankees were sort of sleepwalking through the game. I mean, they'd gone about six or seven innings, really hadn't done anything offensively. And is he smart enough to try to incite his team by, by just, you know, you know falsely you know, creating some kind of schism? Or I don't know. I don't know. I'm looking at him, and I, and I, I, I used to like CC Sabathia. And... Now, lately, like, I don't know who's a bigger jerk. Well, actually, I do. I was going to say either him or Madison Baumgartner. But Madison Baumgartner, I don't know who died and left him in charge of 
baseball, the Dakota baseball. But I mean, CC <laughs> Sabathia every time, man, it's 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 turned in. And the other night it was so funny. The argument was about I'm not talking to you. Like that was what the whole gist of the argument was. If you go back and watch it, there's a guy who does videos on on YouTube where he breaks down ejections and he actually like can lip read a little bit and he and he and he does a really funny job. And he broke down the the Sabathia uh, Garcia thing the other night. And that's what it was. They were actually yelling at one another. Are you talking to me? He's like, I'm not talking to you. He goes, if I was talking to you, you'd know I was talking to you. That's what the whole argument was about. I'm like, this is the dumbest argument I've, I've ever seen. It's an argument about not, it's about not <laughs> arguing with one another. And they went back for it. But I don't know what it is about CC Sabathia. And Steve Versnick, uh, your, our producer here, brought up a it's Robert point. De Niro in the taxi looking in the mirror, right? Like, you talking to me? <laughs> yeah, you talking to me. But, but Steve Versnick brought up a great point. Um, you know, you see have all these, and maybe it'll happen in the second half of the season. Maybe that's what people are waiting for, Steve. But you were mentioning that you don't really see these big, like, tributes to CC Sabathia. Yeah, it's actually Neil Solans who was mentioning, you oh, know, yeah, that's right. Neil, Derek yeah. Jeter and, and Mario Rivera, when they announced their last seasons, you know, the, the receptions they got at the visiting teams and the gifts and everything else, you don't see that with Sabathia at all. I hope the Rays don't do anything for him, you know. I mean, I wouldn't do anything for him, and I don't get it. I don't understand that, uh, you know, just what his problem is. And here's where I had the big problem. There was a, you know, he was, he's mad earlier this year about. Well, I hope they do. Hit. What, get him something? Yeah, I, I mean, I think at some point they need to dot one of his teammates. I mean, you know, that's the one thing about the American League where the pitchers don't have to hit. They can chirp right. all they want to. Mm-hmm. You know, they might get, a, they might get a, a player hurt, but, uh, but there's no, you know, there's no repercussion. He's he's just never struck me as a guy. That, you know, he's competitive, but he never struck me as a guy that was a was like a bad dude. You know, right, um, right. He's a he's a big dude. He looks like he's wearing he's wearing like they took two pairs of pants and for each leg it's like they're they're sewn together or something. Like it's like his out his uniforms never fit him. The guy oh, weighs no, about he's shopping. Pounds. He's shopping, shopping in a big and husky department. You know, <laughs> you remember that back in the day? You know, you're a little little thick. Your mom always used to ask for the husky pants. Husky. I don't, do was, they still that sell was such husky? A poli- that was such a politically correct, correct word <laughs> for that. Because instead of just saying, hey, yeah, you need the fat kid stuff, you know. It, it, but I was got, never oh, a husky, fat kid. Husky. But I had big thighs. I, I remember mom saying, he needs husky. <laughs> and, but it would say it on the pants sometimes. Yeah, oh, yeah, it would. Uh, <laughs> but, yes, the, but the thing with Sabathia, here's what, here's what I don't like. So there was a... Earlier this year, he was upset about Rays pitchers hitting Yankee batters, and it didn't seem like it was on purpose, but he was tired of it. And then there was a game at the Trop earlier this year where he hit, and I can't remember who it was. I don't, I don't know if it was Austin Meadows. It was one of, or Daniel Robertson or somebody like that. He hits, he hits them, and then when the inning ends, he turns back over his shoulder and he said something. And apparently what he said was, I, you know I didn't mean to hit you. And whoever it was said, yeah, I know. You know don't worry about it. And everything was cool. like CC's about, well, you know, oh, I asked, I, yeah, I wasn't trying to hit him there, as if that's an excuse. But when Rays guys do it, oh, no, they're trying to hit people. You know, it's like, well, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it that Rays players are intentionally hitting your guys and you're accidentally hitting their guys. You know, you have to be able to buy the Rays argument as well. So that's what I didn't like. And you're right. As far as if I'm a teammate of CC, I get tired of it. Just like if I'm a team, teammate of Madison Baumgartner, I'm like, Every time you give up a home run, I got to worry about getting in a fight with somebody because you don't like how they're running around the bases. You know, how about stop? Don't give up a home run. And so, 
to me, it's just uh, these, some of these pitchers. It's, I think CC too. He's been around such a long time. He's. Right. I think he thinks he's earned the right to just yell at anybody he wants. I'm tired. I'm, he can't go away fast enough for me. All right. So finally, and not not knowing exactly how the the Yankees and Rays will fare in this doubleheader as we do this podcast, but there's no way. You know, the other night I'm watching this game, Tom, and I, I'm almost feeling bad for Kevin Cash, although I probably shouldn't. But you know. Just take the game that, that Darno hit the two home runs. So Edwin Encarnacion, you know, the Yankees uh, make a deal for him or whatnot. And I know the Rays were supposedly in it. But let's face it, if you get a chance to wear the pinstripes and go to a World Series versus come to Tropicana Field where you might draw 8,000 people, where are you going, right, even if the money's right. the same? So the Yankees have this guy, and he hits, you know, he's hit like five home runs against them. He hits his second home run, puts him ahead. Uh, and then they come in with, uh, you know, with – a role as Chapman, you know. And meanwhile, the Rays need a third home run from a guy named Travis Darno, who was, you know, let go by the Mets. And then they have to close the game with Oliver Drake, who has one career save. If that's not the difference between those two franchises, I don't know what is. No, you hit it right on the head, Rick. And, and the next night when they were had a 3-2 lead and it turned into an 8-3 game in a matter of, like, uh, three minutes – Again, it kept showing yeah. Kevin Cash, and, and I, I was like you. I did. I felt bad for him. I thought that's, you know, it's almost unfair. He, 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 need one, he needed one more arm in that bullpen. He needs a closer. If, he, if you look back at, at the years where they've actually done something and they've, and they've, had, uh, they've had closers, uh, yeah. and, uh, pretty good ones, you know, they don't have anybody out there, and they're going to have to make a move, and I don't even know who they can go out and get at this point. And that's the other problem that the Rays are facing. I mean, we're coming up on the trade deadline really quick here. Um, and uh, and I just don't know. There are so many teams because of the wild card. There are so many teams still alive that it's hard to, to target somebody and say, okay, then maybe they're going to get rid of their closer because they're 25 games out. Uh, a lot of teams who who have decent closers are in the, are in the race and they don't want to give up that guy. Um, and I just like I said, I'm with you. I feel bad for Kevin Cash that at some point you just you got to leave certain guys in there. You you know. You have no other choice. Okay, well, here's what I think is that isn't it on the Rays front office, however they have to make these deals, you know, it would have been nice to have had a guy before the most critical series of the year. In other words, there's almost this this sense that they wanted to see, well, if we take three out of four against the Yankees, then maybe we'll be willing to do a little more for the bullpen. But let's see if we're just fighting for a wild card. Well, of course you're going to be fighting for a wild card because you're not as good as New York. Um, so... You know, it's uh, they've known for a while that, you know, Diego Castillo and, and, and all the guys that, you know, that pitched well early in the season that aren't there, like Jose Alvarado, aren't getting it done. This is not a newsflash. You know, if you thought Colin Poche was going to be the answer, you're wrong. So I, I just don't know why, you know, the team hasn't addressed this situation. When it, Even at the beginning of the season, people were saying, smarter than me, that they're going to go as far as their late-inning bullpen can take them. Yeah, I think what happened was that they were really hoping that Alvarado would be that guy. He showed signs of it at one point, and then he sort of flamed out. And they tried to go after Craig Kimbrell, and that really never panned out. I think they keep thinking there are guys out there that within their system that might turn into that guy because he has one good game. And then you put him out there for another game, and it blows up again. Uh, they're going to have to address this, Rick. I Unfortunately, I think they're in a situation now where they're looking at it, and they're going to say, okay, do we, do we risk a bunch of our future – to be just to get into a one-game playoff because I think catching the Yankees is going to be at it, and I think you're exactly right, Rick. They were they thought, 
we're going to try to win, you know, three out of four. And if we do, we'll make move. And if we, if we end up uh, not winning three out of four in that series and we're still five and a half, six games behind, maybe we'll just stand with what we have. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on to the Bucks quickly. Uh, they, they begin, of course, training camp next week. The rookies are in, I think, Monday, um, you know, a week from you know, today, uh, or next Thursday, the veterans report. They've got some issues already with JPP. He's probably not going to be available for some time. It's a new coaching staff. You know, these rankings come out, and I think I saw where Bruce Arians was ranked about 16th in the league among head coaches for this year, just ahead of your guy, John Gruden, man, at 15. <laughs> And then, um, you know, but, but the, the rankings on Jameis Winston, eh, not so good. I mean, a lot of people have him way down in the bottom third among quarterbacks in the NFL. I know there's not a b- lot of uh, evidence to show that, that Jameis can win games or win a lot of games, especially with this football team that he's, as it's been constructed over the past few years. I mean, is it time? I mean, are you, I, I guess I'm not willing to give up on the guy's talent so much. I, I, Maybe I'm the last of the of, and I don't want to say believers necessarily because certainly his game has holes. Um, but I've looked at the Bucks over the over the years and seen quarterbacks that they've had to play with, Mike Glennon and you know some of those guys. He even won a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson, and it doesn't seem to me like Jameis Winston is going to leave Tampa Bay if he does after this year as their all-time leading passer. For goodness sakes, I mean. Why do you think people are so sort of down on him going into this fifth season? Well, I think they're down on him because of the record of the team over the past four or five years, ever since he's been here, really. And I, you make a really good point, Rick. I think when you look at these other quarterbacks that they've had here in the past, whether it be Mike Glennon or going way back with the Trent Dilfers and the Vinny Testaverdes, there came a point. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. With all of them where you, you said, okay, this is clearly not the guy. You know, we're looking at him and, uh, and he can't play. This guy can't play. With Jameis, there's, there are people out there who don't think he's going to be an elite quarterback, but no one's willing to give up on him quite. I think most people are like you, Rick. They're not giving up on him. They look at this guy, and I, it's the same way I do when people say, what do you think about Jameis? And the answer for most people is, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And that we keep waiting. Okay, this will be the year that we're going to find out. Okay, no, no, this will be the year we're going to find out. Now I think they're they're at a point where they're going to have to make a decision, and uh, and I'm still waiting to see. There's so much there, Rick. There are signs we see it. We do. We just see games where, um, where he makes a play, and you're thinking. Man, I, I've never seen a Bucks quarterback be able to do that. And then, of course, he goes out there some days and throws four interceptions. And, and that's just – I think that's what the Bucks are struggling with right now. They just don't – you don't know a lot of weeks which guy you're getting, but there are enough good parts that you think he could be the guy. And here's the thing. Um, I don't know how he's going to play. My guess is because statistically when he's played – I know last year was an uneven season with him being suspended three weeks and then with Patrick did and then getting benched and, you know, Cutter trying to save his job – couple things about it is I never got the sense 
You know, I know Dirk Cutter talked a lot, said a lot of nice things about Jameis, but we know going in that he would have preferred Mariota just because he knew more about the kid. And it turns out Mariota's no great shakes either, right? Right. Um, but I think for Winston, it was, I don't think that was a good marriage. In other words, sort of like how Greg Schiano wasn't good for Josh Freeman, and at that point, Josh Freeman wasn't good for Josh Freeman. <laughs> I don't think that Cutter was, was great for Jameis in that, now, I was talking to Clyde Christensen, who's this is his second stint. You know, he's now the quarterback's coach here at, uh, under Bruce Arians. And he told me, he goes, you know, because we're talking about the coach-quarterback dynamic, he goes, that guy, if you're a coach, you have to be, you have to back your guy, good, bad, or indifferent. Like, you have to be his biggest advocate, you know. And I never felt, I, I know that Jameis didn't feel like Cutter was. Um, and clearly, Cutter was trying to save his job and win games, which is his job to do. But, I, you know, they've removed any chance of a guy beating him out with Blaine Gabbert as the backup. Um, this may work. You know what I mean? Like, this, this may be what he needs is more of a cheerleader than a coach. I mean, something got to, it has to be a little bit different this time around. And I don't disagree with you necessarily about Dirk Cutter. I, I, think, I think Dirk could be one of those guys that – you, it seemed like he could be a nurturing kind until you screw up. He's like one of those guys that you'd like him as your dad, you know, that he's like he, he's a cool dad until you, like, screw up, and then he's not, not as, as understanding uh, as you'd hoped he would be. And I think that's what happened with Jameis. I think there were, there were moments where he just got so frustrated with Jameis um, and the mistakes that Jameis was making. And, I, I, and look, that's just the type of coach he was. I'm not saying it was, it was good or bad, but I, I don't know that it was a great fit for Jameis Winston. And now Bruce Arians, yeah, I mean, he's the quarterback whisperer, right? I mean, he's the guy that if, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Bruce Arians. But I saw something the other day, Rick, and I think it was a Sports Illustrated, and they predicted uh, the record for every team in the NFL. And uh, they came out with 3-13 and 13 for the Bucs, even though they said Bruce Arians they felt was a top-10 coach. Um, and and uh, I think I, there was another in, – in that actual article, they said there was other predictions that, that it might be more like six games that the Bucks would win. But I don't see anybody, Rick, even like the last couple of years we've seen, oh, the Bucks could be that surprise team, that team that comes out of nowhere. I'm not seeing that kind of buzz at all about the Bucks. Not that that means anything ultimately, but there's, I think most people feel like this is going to be a, a struggle of a season. Why would there be any other uh, prediction? I mean, uh, not three and three, 13 per se, but like, you know, they finished last, Tom, um, last in the NFC South, eight of the last 10 years. Think about that. Not second or third, <laughs> last. Eight out of 10 years. They win between five and seven games every season, right? I mean, literally, I think you can count on both hands at least, maybe even on, you know, one and, maybe on one and a half. Um, the number of, of, of winning or 10 win seasons this franchise has ever had, right? So I don't know why you'd ever predict the Bucks to be very good. And, yeah, as far as the hype goes, like I was watching Hard Knocks. Uh, I said this on a podcast the other day where, you know, they had this Hard Knocks marathon, and I was doing something that was taking me forever. And so I just had it on. And I'm, I'm watching, like, they're, they're, they're hand-wringing over – do we keep Riley Bulla or Cameron Lynch? And is Dante Dye our, fa- our last receiver? I'm like, what? That team was horrible. Chris Baker? You know what I mean? Like, Deshaun Jackson, from the get-go, from the get-go, didn't want to be there. You know what I mean? Like, 
he's complaining about man I'm, I'm worn out I'm you know this this stuff's hard like you know didn't trying to trying to forge a relationship with Mike Evans Jameis is rhyming making up bad rhymes the immaturity you know that's the thing it's like you know his his immaturity sort of as a person and and uh, I mean he was mature in some ways but you know I, you know it just it came through you know like two years ago so I mean most of these quarterbacks that, that are successful in the NFL they're closer to 30 almost always I mean who's the last 20 something year old quarterback was a Russell Wilson to win a Super Bowl you know I mean they usually don't well, even you get, may- in the, get in the game until they're 30. You make a great point about the maturity issues. And I was actually listening to Colin Cowherd the other night, and he was talking about um, – they were talking about various quarterbacks and guys who've had maturity issues, particularly uh, – and usually that comes early in your career. Some guys never get rid of it. But Colin Cowherd, he put Baker Mayfield's name in there with Johnny Manziel and with Jameis Winston in terms of – and not comparing what they've done necessarily off yeah. the field and, and not being able to play in this game, but in terms of just having maturity issues. And he said – you can fix mechanics. You can fix, uh, you know, uh, how a guy throws a football. You can fix game management type stuff. You can't fix maturity. It either happens or it doesn't happen. And that's, I think, the biggest hope for the Bucks that finally Jameis gets to a point where he's really mature and he grows up enough that he can really lead a franchise. But you're right. Looking back, you see those moments where he was really, really immature. And I'm not just talking off the field. I'm talking on the field. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, I, like I said, I think their schedule is against them. I think, uh, you know, when you fly 23,000 miles, you don't play a game at Tampa, um, you know, from September 22nd to October or November 10th or something like that. You know, I don't know how they're going to navigate it, but, you know, between five and seven wins is what this team does every year. And if they exceed that, go to eight or nine, um, you know, it's a virtual parade for, uh, for Bucks fans. But, They've been subjected, you know, I, I, we talk about this all the time. I, you know, for us, sometimes the best stories are years where, where things don't go well. But I do feel for the, for the Tampa Bay fans because I think almost any team in the NFL, you could say, hey, if you're a Bills fan, you got some hope? Yeah, Josh Allen, man. You know, we got, we got mm-hmm. a pretty good defense, run the ball. Um, almost every team in the NFL thinks they have a chance. If I'm a Bucks fan... I mean, I'm a big. You could be a big Bruce Arians guy and love Todd Bowles. I think this coaching staff's the best they've had since Gruden was here. Um, but I don't know where you're hanging your hope. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's just so many things that uh, that have to change. But it can change in a hurry in the NFL. So we'll see if they get that done. Finally, I wanted to um, and I wanted to talk about something you wrote in Pointer just a minute ago, but uh, or this week, in, in fact. Uh, I want to ask you about, there's a story that uh, Matt Baker had done and others uh, about Florida State. How is it that an athletic department with as much acclaim as the Florida State Seminoles could actually have financial problems? Yeah, when I saw that story from Matt Baker a couple of weeks ago, and I know it all stemmed from, and I know you talked to Matt, ba- uh, Matt Baker about it on your podcast, you know, it sort of stemmed from this idea of if... If they wanted to buy out Willie, exactly how much would that cost? You know, this is we're talking this after one year, um, and he started digging into more than just uh, what would it take to dig to uh, to get out from under Willie's contract, and and found that they have some serious issues financially. And and Rick, I don't know, and I don't know, you know, how much Jimbo knew about that, and how much that you know sort of pushed him out the door to Texas A and M. Uh, but it's yeah, it's a disturbing thing because you wouldn't think that their financials would be any different than say. Florida 
Um, and because you know, it's, they're both uh, public schools. They're both real close to one another. They're, you would think they're run about the same. I realize that Florida's population, student population, is is, a, is much higher than Florida State's, but still, both major schools. And uh, I don't. My my short answer is I don't well, know. I would I, I would know. imagine that they're. Yeah, I'd imagine their boosters have big, deeper pockets. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would think. Yeah, Florida maybe, but still, I mean, Florida State's been around long enough that you think their boosters would have a, a pretty good, um, a, a pretty good stockpile of money. I, again, Rick, I just don't know. I don't know the answer for why Florida State's having the issues they are financially. But it's going to be something. That, it's clearly an issue going forward, particularly because, as Matt points out, Florida State really doesn't have a whole lot of marquee games coming up in the near future that they can rake in uh, a lot more money. Yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on Willie Taggart because, you know, the empty seats are also not going to help their financial situation. So if they don't get off to a good start and there's not a lot of big teams coming to Tallahassee, um, that could certainly uh, affect them. Tom, you uh, now work, of course, for uh, the Pointer Institute uh, and do a lot and do a, a newsletter, a media newsletter on pointer.org. You read something the other day, and this is in the political spectrum again, but, but it, it sort of goes into sports to some degree, maybe. I mean, I think it was obviously a political story, but about a politician um, who didn't want to, who didn't feel comfortable with a female reporter spending time alone with her uh, while she was reporting about this particular candidate. Um, you know, Mike Pence has made some mention about, you know, how he doesn't want to be in a room with someone other than his wife for very long, whatever. Um, but we've got, you know, if you if you connected the dots to sports, I mean, there's a lot of female journalists covering sports now, um, very renowned ones, in fact, and, and you know, some right here locally. Uh, where did this come from? Where did you what did you make of this story? And, and it, it I don't know how else to say it other than it's just sexism, really. Yeah, there was a reporter from Mississippi who was uh, working as a um and they were they were covering the various gubernatorial candidates on the Republican side as they're getting ready for a primary, and so there were three of them, and they reached out to all three of them and wanted to do stories where they followed them around for a day, and this particular reporter knew this particular gubernatorial candidate. He had served public office in, in other areas, and so uh, she called him up. She called. In fact, she had his number. That's how she was close enough that she. Uh, was able to reach out to him personally. He had a very small campaign. He's running a pretty distant third in that race. And she said, hey, we, I want to follow you around for a day, uh, you know, on, on the campaign trail as he travels up and down the, the, the state. And he was okay with it. He goes, well, let me check with my campaign director. And they called her back and they said, well, you're welcome to come. And it basically would be her and him riding in a car together, for, you know, for about 15, 16 hours as he stopped at different spots along the way. And... Uh, and, but the campaign director says you have to bring along a male colleague. And she was flabbergasted. And, and what the guy was invoking was what he called the Billy Graham rule, which Billy Graham used to have this rule, that, you know, the, the longtime uh, preacher, um, said that uh, he never wanted to be alone with a woman so that there would be no, imp- no chance of impropriety or even appearance of impropriety. And he did it out of respect for his wife. Look, I have no issue ultimately with the governor or with the guy who's running for governor invoking that rule. If you feel uncomfortable, if you don't want to be alone with a woman, that's, that's your right. But at the same time, um, to, to put the onus on her to bring along a male colleague is where the problem is. Now, if you don't trust yourself or you just don't want it to look like anything's going on, then you bring along somebody, you bring along your campaign director 
or bring along your wife if that's the way you feel about it. But don't turn to the to the right. uh, to the woman and say to say to her that, hey, uh, you know, clearly people, and that's the other part of this that they looked at her and, and they'll say, clear, you know, clearly you must be here to have an affair with me. You can't possibly be here to be doing a job. And nobody would have thought the same thing if a male, call, a male uh, reporter had done this. So, yeah, it was I, it was definitely was sexist. And, and if he felt uncomfortable, then he should have brought along somebody. Not that this matters, Rick, but the funny part of the whole story is I'm ta- I actually interviewed this woman, this reporter, and I'm talking to her. And at the very end of the conversation, she goes, hey, this doesn't matter. She goes, but by the way, I'm I'm. I'm a lesbian. Like this is an open, you know, this isn't a secret. Like I'm openly gay. <laughs> Jeez. And and I, she goes, but again, like not that that would matter in this situation, but I thought that was uh, that was an interesting part of it as well. Well, there was al- there was almost this idea. I think he espoused it on one of the interviews. I said that that you know, um, not that I would initiate anything, but like I don't want to put myself in a position where somebody could claim I did something and there's no witness to it. Like the meat, like as if, as if in the Me Too era, there's all these false reports of you know impropriety and and they're just not true. Yeah, and I remember a story several years ago where uh, uh, Wayne, I used to hear Wayne Gretzky when he was this is well before he married Janet Jones and he was um, you know, he was the best player in the National Hockey League. Apparently, he would go out and and make sure that he was always with teammates, that he was never alone, so that he could be accused of doing anything improper. Um, look, like, like you mentioned a few minutes ago, this, this particular case though involving this woman reporter, it was, it was clearly sexist on this, uh, on this governor candidate's uh, part. Um, just to even suggest that she's incapable of doing her job uh, or that people would look at her um, and, and assume that she was only there to have an affair. Uh, that, that, that's the part that's... And, you know, here's the other thing. When, when I asked her about it, she said that, I said, what's been the reaction? She goes, this will help his campaign. Like, there are a lot of people. This is a deep red state in Mississippi. And people are going to look at him and say, yeah, look, I don't blame it. And, in the me- and just like you mentioned a minute ago, Rick, oh, in yeah. the Me Too era, you can't be too safe. So, um, unfortunately, um, I, I, there are a lot of people who look at this and don't feel like it's sexist at all. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot, you know, you mentioned this evolving from even you know, the example you gave with Billy Graham. There's a fundamentalist Christian perhaps uh, root of this, and I'm not questioning anybody's faith, so if that's, that's how he believes he should live, that's, that's his, his business. But it was, in, it was an interesting story. I thought it was a, uh, a good uh, conversation you had. Um, and again, we, we get into these media issues because, frankly, that's what you do now, um, and, and we're all you know, in the media, so we encounter different, uh, you know, different things that happen in sports. Uh, with female journalists all the time, um, and it's not the easiest environment, particularly the locker room environment. And um, you know, they they're there to do a job, and and sometimes um, you you sort of have these these things crop up from time to time. But it was interesting. Uh, if you get a chance to read it, do so. Uh, you can read Tom Jones in Pointer dot org, and he's uh, still my radio buddy, man. I appreciate you coming on as you do, Tom. We'll talk to you soon. Always have me on anytime. Love being here. Thanks, Rick. Always good to catch up with Tom Jones. Uh, this weekend's a busy one. Of course, the Open Championship will uh, continue and finish on Sunday over in Ireland. So we'll have uh, lots to talk about on Monday about that, as well as the Rays begin their series against the Chicago White Sox. And uh, check out Sunday's Tampa Bay Times. I will answer some questions, the most important questions heading into training camp for the Bucks 
That'll be on Sunday. You can read it on tampabay.com. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.